Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. He does well, Sancho. Let's see what he can provide here in this second half. Driving forward, goes beyond Boateng, still has it, still has it. Nice little ball towards Vitor. Hello and welcome to episode 285 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and this week we will talk about Joshua Kimmich's stupid face, the Super Cup, racist crap and KFC Uerding. To discuss all that and more, join me, Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing quite well. How are you today? I'm very fine as well. Thank you. Also here, Lars Perlman. Hello, Lars. How are you? Hello, Stefan. I am fairly fine, as you tend to say. <laughs> That's very nice. And also here, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. And the first question... Actually, goes to you, Konstantin. Um, Dortmund, with uh, to to very little surprise, won the Super Cup against Bayern Munich. Um, in more broader terms, what were the uh, positive takeaways from you from that game, if any? Um, I don't know there, there weren't many actually. I mean, winning a match. In, in preseason doesn't mean that there have to be uh, so many positive takeaways, actually, because I expected Dortmund to, at this point in uh, in terms of preseason, um, to quite dominate Bayern, uh, which they didn't. So it was fairly uh, fairly even matchup, uh, which is quite concerning for Dortmund, actually, uh, moving forward, because, uh, as we know, I mean, Bayern will likely struggle uh, within the first months of the upcoming season. Um, and then we'll regain footing after a while. Um, so yeah, it doesn't look, it doesn't look that good actually for Dortmund, uh, because they should have dominated. Uh, they didn't. Um, in terms of attacking power, I mean, that, that looked quite, quite well. Although, I mean, there were, there were phases of, the, uh, during the match where, um, there wasn't really much going on and Dortmund relied heavily on counterattacks. Um, which, Shows you that in a match like that, or in a Champions League quarterfinal or something, that's all right for Dortmund to, to counterattack. But in any other match, uh, they have to find different uh, kind of solutions. But against uh, pretty intense pressing, which Bayern applied for 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, um, Dortmund didn't look really comfortable um, playing from the back, um, although. I have to say that that uh, especially Toprak looked um, somewhat comfortable, at least. I mean, given his his uh, recent past, um, given his history last season, how he played there and how he didn't actually play a lot. Um, so there, there was a plus um, seeing one of the center backs at least um, being not by um, not really faced by uh, Bayern's pressure. Um, But other than that, I mean, we're, we're heavy, heavily on counterattacks, on bringing the ball to, to Royce, especially as one of the, one of, as the main target player in the center. Um, so yeah, what was, what was a positive takeaway? I think, uh, Guerrero's performance was one, um, because he looked as matured as he is, um, as a left winger, um, which will probably give him 
not an edge over other wingers, but at least it will give him hope to uh, give a pick up more playing time than he did last season. Um, because he's very well rounded as as an as an attacking player, but as as a midfielder entirely. Um, that's one, and I think Jane Sancho's second half promising a, a, again. Um, so when he gets things going, then he is really a force to be reckoned. But uh, when he has to defend and really be disciplined in a in a pretty tight four four two pressing formation, then he doesn't really know what he has to do. Actually, um, and one, I mean, if I can uh, name one negative thing, do, do we do we uh, talk about Piszczek uh, in the next couple of minutes? <laughs> I <not>. think so. <laughs> okay, all right. Then I don't have to name him because because actually, I mean, is is it really a negative thing to see Piszczek at this point uh, out of form or not? Ready? Um, not really. I mean, given last season and even the season before. Um, so there's that. But yeah, overall, I mean, there were a few, a couple of, or a few things that look were positive and uh, positive takeaways or positive things to be taken away from this match. Other than that, um, in my opinion, uh, somewhat good performance, but also uh, not as good as expected. Yeah, I think here you can uh, say that there were a lot of uh, mistakes, clumsy mistakes on, on both sides. Also a couple of team tactical things that are not as groovy as they, um, you know, may- maybe should be. Or I don't know, it's still sort of preseason. But, you know, there were a couple of things I expected to go better. Of course, it was a little bit disappointing that uh, neither Hummels, uh, Julian Brandt, Torgen Hazard were uh, fit for this game or Mathieu Moret for, for that matter. Um, Lars, I want to briefly talk a little bit about the um, double pivot of Julian Weigel and uh, Axel Witzel because I thought it was a little bit significant that uh, for the first quote-unquote competitive game of the season that Weigel appeared to have won the preseason over Thomas Delaney. Um, so what did you make of, of this um, double pivot and were you also a little bit distressed as that the, uh, let's say, ball retention under Bayern's pressing wasn't as smooth as one could maybe expect? Well, first of all, um, I'd be hesitant to take too much away just from the fact that Weigel played next to Witzel because that was exactly what Favre did in the first league meeting against Bayern last season, uh, which we can remember didn't go so well for Julian Weigel, who was taken off at halftime in favor of Mahmoud Dahoud, which kind of changed the game in Dortmund's favor. But, uh, I mean, this coming on the back of what I would say is a, was a very strong preseason performance generally from Weigel. Maybe there's more significance to it. Uh, I think Weigel looks more dynamic, uh, at this point than he has over the last few years. I mean, he was typically just a base midfielder and that was kind of his thing, you know, being the, the metronome in the passing game and, not really advancing too far out of his comfort zone at the base of midfield. And obviously with Axel Witzel coming in last season, the Weigel kind of had to reinvent himself uh, in order to have a, a future at Dortmund um, outside of being, you know, the emergency center half, which is something I don't think he wants to do for the entirety of his career at this stage. Being or should I think being only 23, I think he that if if Dortmund or if Favre had told him, you know, I think you're still a center half in my opinion, then I think he would have pushed for a move even more than reportedly he already did. So, uh, given all those 
you know, circumstances beforehand. Uh, I, I do think there was some significance to the selection of Weigel next to Witzel. And I would also say that Weigel, in my opinion, was the, the best Dortmund player on the pitch. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of people disagree with that, pinning uh, Toprak or even Marvin Hitz, even though I think Marvin Hitz's performance with the ball at his feet for most of the game denies him that honor. Um, so I, I liked what I saw from Weigel next to Witzel, uh, but I would still say that for the most part of the coming season, uh, at least against a position which Dortmund are going to be expected to dominate, uh, as Konstantin kind of alluded to, I, I would still assume that they are more likely to play only Witzel and two more attacking-minded central midfielders such as Reus and Brandt or Reus and Götze or maybe Reus and Tahut. And as for the the ball retention, I think I I would kind of give them a bit of a pass on that, just going by the the missing personnel. I mean, Birki is a much better builder player than Hitz. Uh, Mats Hummels is arguably the best build up center half in the world, or one of them anyway. Uh, and not having those two really kind of throws a wrench in what they must have been working on uh, over the part, uh, over the course of the summer so i don't i don't know if that's really indicative of uh, what we are going to see uh, in the quote unquote real matches coming forward yeah i i think you're right with uh, everything you just said and i want to add to that a little bit because um i think Konstantin, you and I have talked about that in the previous show about Julian Weigel, that as, as you put it last, that he sort of reinvented himself. And overall, I think um, over the preseason, we haven't seen too many tactical tinkering by Favre. And uh, if there's one new element or feature in Dortmund's play is that the uh, switch of play, the uh, Spielverlagerung happens far more often. I think uh, Borussen edits in a two-minute highlight video of uh, Julian Weigel's play sort of uh, yeah highlights uh, that fact that Weigel played three, four very good switch of plays. Uh, a couple also didn't arrive, but uh, there's more of an urgency and I think that's a new element for Julian Weigel and it's nice to see that he yeah, I don't know if it's just the summer or or the the last season overall. And we just didn't see it as much, but he certainly raised this game, and that even allowed the uh, combination of of Witzel and Weigel. Because beforehand, when those two played, I always thought they were you know occupying two of the same spaces, and that is a little bit different now. And uh, bodes well for Dortmund. Um, Matthias, how do you see uh, the transformation of Julian Weigel, or do you think that uh, what I just um, described this maybe a little bit premature with just one quote competitive game of the season, which is more glorified f friendly than anything else. Well, I think it is a little bit early, but uh, there was one passage of play where I forget who he dribbled around, where I first thought it was Sancho before I realized, wait, no, that's Julian Weigel. So that completely caught me off guard. I mean, including the Bayern player. Yeah, because he was on Sancho's side, so I naturally assumed it was Sancho. 
And then I saw uh, the shirt number, and I went, oh, okay, never mind. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a maturing process he went through last season. Also, the fact that he's staying at Dortmund, even though I assumed he was leaving, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. His versatility has expanded, of course, by being a more than serviceable center back, if need be. But I do think it's still a little bit early, even though Bayern, of course, are a great test as a benchmark to go up against. Um, but it's too small of a sample size for me to say anything truly conclusive at this point. Yeah, I think that's uh, the <laughs> biggest conclusion overall. I mean, I think Dortmund managed to beat Bayern in the Super Cup before and then what finished like 23 or 20, 25 points behind them in, in uh, the Bundesliga. So, um, yeah. But th- there were a couple of positives I think were n- worth noting, like uh, uh, Rafael Guerrero and uh, Konstantin. I-, I think uh, the honor should be on you to <laughs> talk about Lukas Piszczek for, like, ve- very quickly. I-, I didn't think that was uh, positive from him to be, what, completely empty after 55 minutes or so. Really, after 55 minutes, he looked empty after 10 um so yeah i mean he was just too slow for Komong. um many many technical mistakes uh bad touches here there uh nervous when receiving the ball at the panel at their own penalty area um yeah that was quite bad but father kept him on for 70 minutes or so um i guess even longer right um 80 minutes or so. um so yeah that was interesting to watch um but it wasn't quite promising but, now there's a big but, because last year we had the same discussion about um, Piszczek. Um, back then I thought, like, he's done and you know, just ship him away, you know, bury him somewhere. Um, but, no, he recovered actually quite well and was uh, more than just capable as a right back uh, for Dortmund uh, throughout the season uh, when he wasn't injured. So, um, I guess... History we will repeat itself and we will see it again, then it's all right. Then there's not much to worry about. Otherwise, um, yeah, there might be quite a situation at right back because um, you got Hakimi, who is not as reliable as he should be in terms of tactical discipline and tracking back and, you know, being not out of position at at all times. Um, and on the other hand, like, you got uh, Mathieu Moret, who just, um, yeah, stumbled and dislocated his <laughs> shoulder, which is... Yeah, Runach reported that he's supposed to be out for two months now. I don't know where that's coming from and whether that's accurate, but, uh, you know, that's that's obviously a shame I, as well. I, I, I think they should just amputate his arm, because, like, why not? Um, yeah. That one fixed the shoulder now, will it? Yeah, of course. I mean, then everything is all right and he can go. <laughs> um, no, but uh, seriously, I mean, I hope that uh, Piszczek, I mean, he has almost another month to really um, get things going and I hope that will happen. Otherwise, of course, you can just use uh, Hakimi as, as a right back. It's not that bad. Um, it's, it's all right, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not perfect right now because Hakimi has to... Uh, step up his game a little bit and has to learn a, a few things which I don't really see he has he already has uh, in the past few months so um yeah but I mean Hakimi is still capable uh, right back because of his athleticism because he's just faster than so many opponents uh but in some of these very 
tight games, very close matchups, um, I think Dortmund would uh, perform better with uh, Piszczek at right back, but with uh, Piszczek who is at at least 95% and not at 35, which he was against Bayern this past Saturday. Yeah, there were two controversial moments in this game, I would say. Uh, for the first one, I will come to you, last, and for the second one, uh, Matthias can rant about. The first one was in the uh, 58th minute, and Robert Lewandowski sort of lunged into Marvin Hitz, trying to get the ball, but uh, I don't know if it were both studs open or just one. Um, but he definitely hit the goalkeeper and it looked quite brutal from my side. Daniel Siebert, the referee, uh, he opted for a yellow card. Uh, in my mind, that should have been a straight red card as well. Uh, Lars, what do you make of this uh, tackle from, from Lewandowski? Should have been a red card? Should have VAR intervened? Or uh, do you think a yellow was warranted? No, that's a straight red just because uh, it's it's basically textbook uh, endangering your opposition or I don't know how English speaking countries put it in terms of, uh, you know, deliberately risking uh, an opponent's injury as we kind of would say in Germany. So, I mean, I don't think there was malicious intent in there, uh, but that's not the point of uh, red cards or, or bookings. I mean, if you go into a challenge, somewhat deliberately uh, risking the injury of your opponent that should be a red card offense and i would think that this was and i mean i don't i don't like this typical talk about bayern getting all the calls and typically think uh you know good sides get the calls because they're better than the opposition and have more opportunities to get calls in their favor but in this case i think there was uh, especially in conjunction with the second incident, I would actually add a third incident with, uh, I mean, a, a meaningless penalty shot in the final dying seconds of uh, added time. Uh, yeah, was it Sanchez against Hakimi? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when all three decisions in this kind of game go one way, and I would say that most neutrals would argue that at least two of them were quite clearly bad calls by the referee, then... Maybe there's there's for this one instance uh, something to the typical talk about Bayern getting all the calls, but you know the ball don't lie, I guess, and Dortmund won, so that's more important, I would say, than Lewandowski and uh, Kimmich maybe missing like the Hertha match and whomever they play on the second match day. Yeah, um, Matthias. Uh Lars just mentioned the Kimmich incident. Uh, do you want to give us a little play-by-play -play on this one? Well, we can start with the character of Joshua Kimmich and the lack thereof. No, um, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, what's there to say? I think everyone's seen it now multiple times. Uh, it was clearly a stamp, clearly with the intent of injuring Jaden Sancho. Um, and he was not shown a red card, was shown a yellow card, uh, which prompted him to flip his shit and complain about it. And Bratzo Zalihamidzic afterwards saying it wasn't even worth a yellow card, which is complete garbage. Um, it, you know, Kimmich over the last few seasons has truly become a Bayern player as one hates them. And it's almost like everyone is trying really hard to pick up the mantle from Franck Ribéry, who in multiple matches against Dortmund did something 
dirt baggy and didn't get sent off. So obviously Lewandowski and Kimmich are like, hey, hold my beer. Uh, we can make it even more egregious than what Ribéry did and still not get sent off. You know, the explanation after the fact was that the referee uh, got a message from the VAR saying it's, you know, basically it's not worth you taking a look at, uh, which the DFL, DFB, whoever uh, came out afterwards and said, yeah, that was wrong. Definitely yeah, should have looked I've, at that. I've, I've the quotes right here. Yeah. If you, I can sure. read it if you want. Uh, Jochen Dres, who is the head of the VAR project, you know, I think there was some some media workshop where they sort of to to club officials and and journalists presented the VAR center in Cologne, and and he said that video assistant Robert Schröder made an error in the formal process. He should have sent referee Daniel Siebert to the review area so he could come to a conclusion uh, for his own because he didn't have full awareness of the situation. Instead, the erroneously rated, he erroneously rated the situation himself from the video seller as worthy of a yellow caution. And he said, maybe it was down to the fact that this sort of offense during a regular tackle on the pitch would result in a yellow booking. This, however, was violent conduct despite the low intensity. This is why the ev evaluation by the VAR was incorrect. So, um, yeah. I think that sums it up quite well um, and is obviously frustrating as, as Lars, you already mentioned. I think um, the rules are such and it's a bit confusing and I'm, I don't have 100% clarity, but I uh, <laughs> sort of double check with Colinas Erben, who are the, uh, I don't know, refereeing authority doing the journalistic work there in, in Germany. And basically what happens if you get a straight red in the Super Cup, then you will be suspended for the Bundesliga as well. Two to three games maybe is what we're looking at here for Lewandowski and Kimmich respectively. And I'm sure this would actually hurt Bayern. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's a bit of an impact on the title race, if you will. And of course, if you get double booking in the Super Cup, the second yellow, then you will be suspended for the next Super Cup game. I'm not entirely sure... Um, how that is, is uh, constituted, but uh, those seemingly are the statues of the DFL and DFB. So um, there's that. But I, I think it it just raises a little bit the significance of uh, both players getting a yellow card instead of what should have been, in my mind, a straight red card. So, yeah, I, I think we, we can move on here because the, the good news is that Jaden Sancho, even though he had a little bandaging around his uh, ankle after the game um is is fine and can can play on but it's it's just uh yeah not very nice by joshua kimmich to sort of air his frustration or whatever it was um like that you can see he lifts his leg his standing leg um to further shift the weight on on uh, the ankle and you can see the foot is really you know pushing down and and twisting Jaden sancho's ankle there and you can also see kimmich definitely looking down so i don't think his his eye foot coordination is so bad that he misses the ball as as he said so that was a bunch of of bullshit and when he said that it was a little bit unfortunate also i think just uh made people a little bit more mad um but yeah the i i think we we can leave this one behind us now uh unless you constantine want to add anything further good so um is there anything else to say about the Super Cup that any of you three want to say? Good. So um, that leads us then to the next subject and is the um, 
incidents of uh, Patrick Ovomoyela and Nobad Dickel calling a game and uh, having a couple of uh, racist remarks. Uh, I personally didn't see it and only realized it after the, I think, VDR, the German uh, broadcasters, brought it to light or what, whatever or, or blew it up nationally, whatever whatever you will. And Vedran did it. She asked what do the speakers on the podcast think about the Dickel and Ovomoyela situation at Udinese. So basically what happened is that uh, during the friendly Norbert Dickel and Patrick Ovomoyela did the live commentary and uh, I don't know who of the two used the word uh, because I haven't heard it myself and I'm just uh, based on reporting is that the, the word Itaka was used. Itaka, sorry. And uh, that obviously is in German a very... Uh, Yeah, I would say a racial slur it certainly uh, denigrates Italians and is uh, nothing that should be uh, used ever on a live commentary, especially not club TV or whatever it is. It's 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 just uh, stupid. And then, of course, Patrick Ovomoyela uh, had a little parody of Adolf Hitler, which I personally don't think is is that bad. Um, it's it's maybe inappropriate in in that sort of setting, but uh, nothing uh, you know to to create a big fuss about. To to be honest, but uh, Patrick Omela today apologized about that. But the uh, the racial slur sort of what's not addressed by him, and uh, what happened is that the club suspended both for uh, from doing live commentary for now. Uh, what you call it in German, a Denkpause, a thinking break. Um, Lars, what what do you make of of this situation? Did the club react correctly? Uh, no, they question they, they they they. I I mean, there's there's kind of two things uh, to point out here. A the the reaction. Uh, I guess that's fine. Uh, I I think. Uh, it's it's certainly not the same as the Clemens Turnier saga, uh, where actual racist belief systems came through, uh, and and nobody can tell me any differently. I don't that 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 wasn't a man just speaking out of term or whatever. That was someone giving us a a glimpse into his inner workings, as opposed to uh, Dickel and Uvoyela using entirely inappropriate but. I don't want to say harmless banter, but in terms of the, the, the racial connotations using derogatory words towards Italians probably doesn't come close to what Turnius did against the entire continent of Africa. But I don't want, I, I don't want to, to, uh, excuse what they did, obviously. I mean, uh, the, 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 the problem I have with Dortmund's reaction isn't necessarily what they did to, uh, those two for their idiocy, but you know, the delay in addressing it publicly. I mean, the game against Udinese was on July 30th, I think. Uh, and this all only came to light in the last, uh, on, on Monday and Tuesday of this week, whenever the podcast is coming out exactly. So they, they had a week basically to take care of this problem. They tried to do it internally without addressing it externally, which they obviously should have because this was a uh, very open and and public affair if you like i mean i don't know the the viewership numbers but obviously a lot of people watch the the b4b games on uh b4b total or b4b tv as it's called today i think uh, 
and and the the YouTube channel, uh, Facebook. I don't know if the the English version is on Facebook or whatever. So I I don't like uh, them trying to deal with it internally when it was a problem of external uh, communication. But again, I don't think we should you know talk about uh, those two necessarily in the same vein as other plain races uh, that that we do have a problem with in German football and German society especially or or generally and and just uh, one quick thing also on Uvomodela and the the Hitler impression i mean obviously the context was very much inappropriate uh, and and certainly the climate nowadays is also very problematic for that kind of thing but I would very much believe him when he says that was a poor attempt at humor, uh, just because making fun of Hitler, impersonating Hitler, uh, is almost its own subgenre of German humor, uh, and, and the attempt of the German public to kind of deal with, you know, World War II and, and the Nazi past. So, I mean, I would, I would say that with with some level of certainty that at least half of the male comedians in Germany and, and satire people and whatever have some sort of Hitler impersonation in their program at one point in their career. So there's entire movies made about the premise of people impersonating Hitler. Uh, I don't think that you know someone impersonating Hitler makes him, you know, racist per se or anything. And Especially with the person of Patrick Ovomuyela, uh, who has experienced racism based on his color or skin color and has done a lot of good work, uh, kind of as a spokesperson for, uh, black footballers from Germany and in Germany. Uh, I think we are not doing him much justice, throwing him in with, uh, Turnius and also Dickel, who actually made those racist remarks. I mean, I think there needs to be, uh, you know, uh, we need to uh, make sure not to mix things up there. Yeah, no, I think this distinction is, is very important. I I think that Ovomoyela's belief system is is very much in, intact and does not have sort of right wing ideology that you know goes, you know, to xenophobia or so. Um, I also don't think even I don't I don't know him personally, but I also don't believe that. You know, Norbert Dickel is, is a xenophobe. I wouldn't really mark him as that, but, uh, certainly the language that was used needs to be addressed and, uh, you know, should have some repercussions and, uh, they are certainly given. But I also agree with you, Lars. Um, it took basically five to six days for, for this whole thing to boil into the national stage and, uh, the club only issued an official statement to, I think, their Westen or what's, um and and that's what that's it basically and I, I thought they should have been a little bit more proactive about it because right after the game um Ovomela and Dickel approached the the club and and said well we screwed up here um and they certainly I think apologized on the on the next friendly I don't know against who that was but I I remember Ovomela saying that today we will be a little bit more serious so um i i think they they made amends and uh, it should not be blown out of uh, proportion but uh, 
also i i think people need to understand what is going on so i i hope uh, we did that justice if not go to yellowwarpod.com i've i've written a couple of news pieces about that so you can see what each party said and also the uh i i transcribed the uh, apology that Ovomoila issued i'm not gonna read it out here now but uh yeah that's that's all i want to say on the subject uh constantine matthias do you want to weigh in or do you want to uh yeah move on to the next subject i think we can move on i think Lars and you said everything that needs to be said all right then the next subject subject is kentucky fried chicken uh kfc uerding is the uh first uh, opponent in the uh, dfb round dfb pokal round one um the game will happen in the uh merkur spiel arena which is the Düsseldorf, uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf Stadium, which, I don't know, it's a bit of a shame because it takes away the, the charm of the first round and uh, it's basically a trade-off for, um, yeah, just ticket revenue, I assume, for KFC Uerding because they just don't think they will have a good chance to, to beat Dortmund. I don't know, um, Dortmund did that before against his side from Kiel, I think, where they played in uh, uh, Bremen, in Bremenshire, and I think they also had the first cup round in uh, Stuttgart before so it's it's not a first but uh, these things happen of course there is now a bit of controversy um because kevin großkreuz is playing for kfc uerding the uh in in the third division and uh i think they're in the fir third division and uh, he recently kicked a player where the ball was uh very further away and apparently i haven't seen it myself but apparently it was a very nasty kick from behind into the players' legs. I don't know what Großkreuz was thinking, but I rarely do. So um, he might be banned for the match. I'm not sure uh, whether the DFB uh, yeah, will, will rule that way because then they would have to ban him you know, for multiple com competitions because usually if you're banned in Germany, it's most of the time for just the competition the, the conduct occurred in. So... Um, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, Konstantin, I, uh, tasked you to find out who is playing for KFC Uerding while we are recording here. So, uh, please now report to us. Because you know, I'm getting bored when I have to do only one thing at a time. Um, yeah, that's actually true. Um, sometimes when I'm doing this podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, there was the, contains of um, a lot of somewhat accomplished uh, second tier or second Bundesliga players um, and some third tier uh, or third division players as well. Um, so some of the, I mean, if you follow the even the, even the, even the Bundesliga closely, then uh, you will know some of these names like Leukemia, for instance, or Dominic Maro, uh, or Jan Kirchhoff. Um, so or Stefan Eigner. Um, so, but what's, what's interesting about the team is that most of the, most of like this, these pivotal players with, uh, with a lot of experience on, on the higher level, which can help in these kind of matchups, uh, are either injured or suspended. As you just mentioned, I mean, Kurskos might be out. Dauber is injured. Kirchhoff is injured. Uh, Leukemia is suspended. Dominic Mauro, uh, Dominic Mauro is also injured. Stefan Eigner is injured. So, uh, most of these, um, like experienced players, won't play. Kimaldi is also injured. I, I'm just looking at at the squad. So yeah. Um. So probably Dortmund will uh, rather play a more, I don't know, 
dumped down uh, version of of uh, the current Erdingen. We have to mention that um, I mean they play like a, a club with a lot of history, and they now play in uh, the third division thanks to the money of uh, Mikhail Pomarev, um, the Russian president and main investor. Oh. Sole investor, um, who's also responsible why these, uh, players with, uh, relatively high wages are playing for Erdingen, why Heiko Vogel, former, you know, Bayern Munich academy coach and Basel coach and so on, um, is now their, uh, manager. Um, so what, what we do expect, I mean, as, as per usual, like we have this discussion every year that these, um, you know, low, lower tier, uh, kind of teams, uh, just try to sit deep and hit the counter. Um, and in terms of earning in, I don't know if it will work. Um, what Dortmund has to keep in mind is that, uh, Frank Evina is, is probably, will probably play as the center forward, um, right now on loan. Um, uh, was on loan for, for, uh, the, um, Bayern Munich, uh, second team, surf team, uh, and is now back at Erdingen, and he's quite fast. I, he's actually a left winger by, by Tre, or is, is a, originally a left winger, and now plays as a center forward for Erdingen. I think, I think because Grimaldi and also, uh, especially because Grimaldi is injured, uh, but he's someone who has a lot of speed, so, so maybe there's a threat that he will hit, uh, Dortmund at the break, uh, but other than that, I don't, I don't really see much of a threat. Um, it's just typical third division side. Nothing to be really worried about. And, and since Jan Kirchhoff, uh, living football god, is not playing. I mean, there's not much much to worry about, of course. And Kevin Crosscourt. I mean, he, whatever. <laughs> no, no further comments. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it may be for the best. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right. If you look at the squad, there are a couple of of good players. Uh, I, I didn't know they had Adam Matushik in there, um, who I think played. For Cologne, Cologne. yeah, Cologne. Oh, Cologne, even. <laughs> yeah, originally for Cologne, and longest time for Cologne. But all, all of these players, like Dennis Daube, for instance, you know, um, um, an accomplished um, second um, Bundesliga player, you know, um, for uh, for St. Pauli and, and Union Berlin. So, but all these players, like they have hit thirty. Um, like, like Matuschik is 30, Daube is 30, and, and they, um, I mean, Matuschik will play probably. Manuel Konrad is also someone who played second Bundesliga football a lot, also 30. Um, so, I mean, these are all somewhat older players. I mean, I mentioned Frank Avina, he's 19. You know, he's just coming up from the youth ranks. Um, just played for, as I, as I said, for a reserve team for Bayern Munich. Um, so it's, that's someone you can keep an eye on because he will probably have a career. Uh, in maybe second or even even Bundesliga football, um, so that's someone you kind of keep an eye on. Up, but all of these other players, like like including like someone like Alexander Pitrov, someone who played for Werder Bremen a lot for the reserve team for Werder Bremen, and never never uh, got a break um, to you know be uh, right back or left back for the for the first team for Werder Bremen. These kind of players are right now at Erdingen. Typical strategy by by a club who has a loaded investor. Um, they try to buy names and they can buy, they can, um, 
yeah, they can just pay these higher wages because like someone like uh, Zani Lukimia who played for Düsseldorf in the, in the Bundesliga, uh, for Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga, I mean, he, his, his wage demands are much, much higher than someone who is coming up from the, from the fourth division. I mean, it's, it's explanatory, but just to mention it, you know, um, that's what a lot of these, these clubs do. They, they just buy names and uh, buy experience and try to get something going. Most of the time it doesn't work out, actually. Yeah, Frankie Wiener actually scored in every of the four games so far for uh, KFC Uerding, who are right now 11th in the Dritte Liga with uh, five points after four games. Um, I always love how we uh, <laughs> research it live during the show. But um, yeah, I, I apologize. My, my interest in KFC Uerding is, qu is quite limited, to be honest. And uh, there's also just not too much to find out about them un unless you know them uh, better. I think you, Matthias, yeah, so, might... So, so just just one thing. I mean, maybe we because of the history, I mean, you have a lot of listeners who, who probably didn't follow German football in the 1980s or 1990s. I mean, once once upon a time in the 1980s, uh, Erding was a Bundesliga club, actually. Uh, why? Because they back then were named Bayer Erdingen, just like Bayer Leverkusen were by the Bayer uh, Corporation uh, funded. Um, and had, had a, had a spell as a successful, um, Bundesliga club, actually. But after Bayer as a company dropped out, being not their main sponsor anymore, um, they, uh, went that, went south pretty, pretty, pretty deeply. Actually, they were down to the fifth division. Um, and were in big trouble. Um, and also if, if people want to research Erding and Erding is just a part of the city of Krefeld. So if you want to, want to do some research, just, you know, to, to our United States listeners or listeners from Asia or so, just you can do your research on your own and you know that that's, that's a trap, club with a, with a, a deep running tradition. Yes. Um, Matthias, you might actually be more excited about the friendly the next day because Borussia Dortmund will go up against your Preußen Münster team. Yeah, and I hope um, that Borussia Dortmund beat the ever-living crap out of KFC Uerdingen uh, so that, uh, you know, they're just so demoralized that uh, they completely fall to pieces again. Like I mean, last season they, they were looking like favorites to get promoted. Thankfully, they didn't because I have zero respect for the way that club is run these days. Uh, but a few other little historical notes, uh, current Fortuna Düsseldorf manager Friedhelm Funke once played for Uerdingen, actually won the DFB Pokal with his brother. And I, one of my early childhood memories of watching Bundesliga football was Uerdingen against Arminia Bielefeld when Friedhelm Funke broke his leg in that match. It was like 1985, I believe. That so, be a, yeah, yeah. Quite, a, quite a famous scene of 1980s yeah. Bundesliga football. That yep. he broke it that, because it looked nasty. It, it was nasty. I remember watching that as a kid going, oh, God, I don't know if I want to play soccer in, in Germany. Um, but it, that's neither here nor there. But it's just, you know, a little little bit of. Uh, context history uh, since Konstantin uh, brought it up and yeah it's it's a shame that that Uerdingen it's kind of uh, you know when RB Leipzig were in the Dritte Liga they were definitely the most hated club uh, 1860 are kind of ish in that in the Dritte Liga just because of their own psychotic history with with their Jordanian financier uh, but what uh, KFC Uerdingen bring to the table with their Russian 
financial background uh, is even worse. I mean, there, there's there's no love lost in the Dritte Liga between any of those clubs and the current uh, crop of KFT Uddingen players and ownership management. I mean, they I forget how many managers got fired last season, but it was it was kind of a joke, honestly. Uh, and uh, hopefully, Dortmund win by double digits and Uddingen get relegated this season. <laughs> All right, uh, that is more content about KFC Uerding that I personally expected, but uh, the more the merrier, to be honest. Um, Lars, since you're uh, in closest vicinity to Krefeld, living in Bonn, I think you can get there by car in under an hour. I don't know how many uh, uh, construction no. sites there are. What? <laughs> you are quite, quite far off, Stefan, but it doesn't matter yeah, because... Yeah. Krefeld is, is far, far in the north. Because the game oh, is not far in the north. at Düsseldorf, as you said, but... To add even more content on K KFC Uding, it's not because of uh, you know them trying to fill out a bigger stadium for more money. Actually, Uding are not allowed to play in the Grotenburg, which is their typical or usual stadium, and they haven't been for more than a year. They played uh, last season. I don't remember where they played. Somewhere uh, in close vicinity Duisburg. to Krefeld. Yeah, Duisburg, right. Uh, and this season they are playing at Düsseldorf, which Fortuna Düsseldorf aren't really happy about, but they can't do anything about it because they don't own their own stadium at this point. Uh, so it's not about, uh, you know, Uerding and trying to make a buck against, you know, the, the second biggest German club, but, you know, they are not allowed to play at the Grotenburg, which is something that I think their, their own fans, whatever is left of, you know, the, the ones relatively big following, uh, from the Bundesliga days, obviously, uh, would, would much prefer. And, uh, one final point on Erding, they, for, for whatever is bad about the club, as Matthias alluded to, they have, in my opinion, one of the best mascots in the Bundesliga, which is the Groti Fund. <laughs> yes, that's very true. And the Groti Fund is a very, uh, or Groti Fund is uh, very uh, awesome. Um, I don't, I don't see how I'm far off though. Like from from all of us here, I think you're the closest to Krefeld, are you not? Yeah, but sure, it's not but an I, hour. I, I mean, it's it's it, well, it takes I'm, you far longer. Yeah. I I, I just like... typed it in in Google Maps and it tells me uh, if you take the A57, you are there within 58 minutes. It's 19.7 kilometers. So, uh, 19? No, I mean that's 90.7. Not nine nineteen, so yeah, still almost hundred kilometers away, but uh, still the closest from all of us since uh, you know. <laughs> I will guarantee you that you will not go anywhere from Bonn within an hour unless it's Cologne. Yeah, maybe, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but moving on, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you probably have a point, but uh, I, I'm just relying on the predictions here, but, uh, you know. Anyway, uh, predictions is the keyword here, Lars. Uh, you still go first. I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I could not really give less of a you-know-what about, first of all, the third division in general, because Dortmund 2 aren't playing in it, and Bonner C aren't playing in it, uh, the, the local club here. Which would take me, by the way, Stefan, about 45 minutes to reach a game of Bonner SC on a bad day, which is in the same city. But uh, I also don't give a you-know-what about Uerding in particular, so I wouldn't have the slightest clue as to how they are doing and what they are doing on the pitch. 
So I'm going with a typical first round of the cup kind of performance and result from Dortmund, which would be somewhere along the lines of, say, a 3-0 victory. All right. Uh, by the way, it apparently takes 17 hours and 21 minutes to walk from Bonn to Krefeld. I will try um, that, Stefan. <laughs> I, I like walking. Sure you will. <laughs> yeah, uh, why, why not? Uh, can close your exercise rings on your Apple Watch or whatever. Um, that's that's a nice little brisk walk you have. <laughs> so um, uh, good luck with that. I think if you start now, you can make it to the game. Uh, <laughs> unless you want to do it all in one bit. The game is still I'm in Düsseldorf, Stefan. Yeah, right. Um, but <laughs> We just talked about it a minute ago. Price <laughs> on this show. I, I I said it myself at first. Yes, you're you're right. Anyway, it's uh, probably uh, like 15 hours from Bonn to Düsseldorf. Um, but that's besides the point here. Matthias, your prediction? Well, I'd like to see it, you know, end 14 to nothing, um, personally. But uh, keeping it somewhat realistic, I, I think uh, uh, let's go with a 4-0 a, a victory for Borussia Dortmund. Yes, and actually it's uh, 13 or, or 14 hours, let's say, uh, from Bonn to Düsseldorf. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> but you don't <laughs> know how fast I walk. Well, ma 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 maybe Faster than Google? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Google Google predicts a very slow walk, I, I think, usually. I've I've done it before and I always... You, you, te you tested it before ETA. when you walked from, from Dortmund to Frankfurt or something. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. All right. Um, that, what's that your prediction? Explains, that explains a lot, actually. Yeah, what does that explain? I'm well exercised. You hit your head one <laughs> one time too many. Um, so we won. Thank you very much. All right. Um, I guess you are calculating the obligatory uh, set piece goal, and the, I'm going the the, the uh, piss check slip. Yes. What whatever it is, I'm I'm uh, predicting for a, f uh, a five nothing win. And I think that that's enough for this episode. I don't want to bore anyone with more uh, walking distance ETAs. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for coming on. Uh, Matthias, please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Very nice. Lars? Yeah, people can walk to me uh, on Twitter <laughs> at Lars Polman. <laughs> Constantine? People cannot find me on Twitter at cc underscore eckner. Yes, and you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get in touch, use the contact form or uh, also our Gmail address. What is it? Yellowwallpot at gmail.com also uh, arrives at our doorstep. And Matthias, I think, will pick it up and yeah, if you want to subscribe to the show, please do that via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or the RSS feed that you find on yellowwallpod.com, where you also find more written content. And I think that's it for now. Until next time. Good. I'm not so sure. on him it's something that they're definitely going to review and see I can't see this not being a red card yeah, you look at the replay and Kim McGrillian has himself to blame on that one really silly really silly
Stomps on his ankle, doesn't need to, it's obvious. Wow. And he's complaining. Wow, very interesting. Imagine what exactly his argument is right now. I don't understand how they didn't give a red card. 